Welcome to the Not Old Better Show on radio and podcast. I'm Paul Vogelsang, and today's episode is brought to you by Find a Grave. Find a Grave is the world's largest online gravesite collection. You can browse through cemeteries around the world and discover burial information about your family, friends, and even famous people. Our guest today is a famous person and definitely very much alive. So I want to thank you for listening. You're listening also to Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star by Snuffy Adams from Smithsonian Folkways. It's our music today. It's a great song. I think you guys will all like that. And we do have a great guest today who I'll introduce in just a moment. But quickly, if you missed any episodes, last week was our 664th episode. And we spoke to Smithsonian Associate Ari Weinsvig, founder of Zingerman's Deli and Family of Businesses. Two weeks ago, I spoke with Smithsonian Associate David Marinus about his new book on the life of Jim Thorpe. All wonderful stuff. If you missed any of those shows, you can go back and check them out, along with my entire back catalog of shows, all free for you there on our website, notold-better.com. And if you leave a review, we will read it at the end of each show. I've got one today for you. So please leave reviews on Apple Podcasts for us. Our guest today on the show is Cynthia Covey-Haller. You'll know the name Covey, of course. Many of my audience will be familiar with the Franklin Covey Company, and Cynthia's father is the late Stephen R. Covey, who wrote Seven Habits of Successful People. Cynthia Covey-Haller is an author, teacher, speaker, and an active participant in her community. She has contributed to the writing of several books and articles, notably The Third Alternative by Stephen R. Covey, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens, and The Six Most Important Decisions You'll Ever Make. Creating your best future. What we live behind is not what is engraven on stone monuments, but what is woven into the lives of others. Pericles. My dad taught me the best way to predict your future is to create it. He always planned to work and contribute as long as he lived, and he planned to live forever. He made it very clear to his children and those who knew him well that the R word, retirement, was not in his vocabulary. He lied without conscience about his age and cringed when someone referred to the stage of life he was in as his golden years. Dad lived with a carpe diem or seize the day attitude and taught all nine of his children to do the same. He loved to to quote Thoreau's admonition to suck the marrow out of life whenever we had a great opportunity ahead of us. This outlook kept him young and constantly learning. We understood he wasn't going to miss any opportunity to enjoy his life and make a difference in the lives of others. After my dad graduated from the Harvard Business School at the age of 25, his brother asked him what he was going to do with his life. He answered simply, I want to unleash human potential. For the next 55 years, he carried out that goal across the globe through his inspiring books and dynamic teaching, generally around what he called principle-centered leadership. The symbol of his company was the compass, signifying the importance of aligning one's life with what he called true north, a symbol for bedrock principles that don't change over time. Dad believed that teaching those timeless universal principles common to all people could dramatically change and impact individuals and organizations for good. 
He was a visionary man of great ideas and ideals. He loved to learn by asking everyone he met about their lives, their work, families, beliefs, what they felt passionate about, just to learn from them. He would often pick people's brains to get a different perspective. He listened intently to their opinions and asked questions as if they were experts in their fields. He listened to teachers, cab drivers, doctors, CEOs, waitresses, politicians, entrepreneurs, parents, neighbors, blue-collar workers, professionals, even heads of state, and treated them all with equal interest and curiosity. It used to annoy my mom, who would roll her eyes and sometimes say, Stephen, why do you always act like you don't know anything when you talk to people? And he would say, as if it were so obvious, Sandra, I already know what I know, but I want to know what they know. As the oldest of nine children, I grew up listening to my father discuss principle-centered ideas at home and in his various presentations to many audiences worldwide. One of my favorite principles was First Things First, also the title of one of his books and one of the seven habits. Dad tried hard to live what he taught, and family relationships were a top priority for him. Though there were nine children, each of us felt we were an important member of the family and could had good relationships with both of our parents. That, of course, is our guest today, Cynthia Covey-Haller, reading from her new book, Live Life in Crescendo, written with her late father, Stephen R. Covey. Today we will be talking with Cynthia Covey-Haller about all things inspirational directly from Live Life in Crescendo. Cynthia Covey-Haller will tell us all about her new book, Live Life in Crescendo, written with her late father, Stephen R. Covey. Live Life in Crescendo is the inspirational, encouraging final book from the legendary leadership expert Stephen R. Covey, internationally best-selling author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better show on radio and podcast author and inspiring speaker, Cynthia Covey-Haller. Cynthia Covey-Haller, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me on, Paul. I've really looked forward to speaking with you. Yeah, I look forward to speaking with you too, Cynthia. I, I think the subject is going to be of real interest to our audience. It was just of real interest to me to um, learn of your new book. I've, I've actually got a copy of it right here in my hands. Thank you so much for sharing it with me. The title again is Live Life in Crescendo. You've written this uh, along with your father, the late Stephen R. Covey. We're going to get into all of this about your book, but I wanted to start and just talk for just a second because as you mentioned in the reading, you are the oldest of nine Covey children. Uh, you worked really closely with your father, although you never worked in the company Franklin Covey per se, as as I found for my research. But the book was this manuscript; it was ready to go. Uh, you know, maybe maybe just tell our audience a little bit about working with your father and your family and how this book came to be. I'd love to. Thank you. Um, yes, it. Um, first, I've got to say I love your, the name of your show. <laughs> Not old, better <laughs> show. You. And I think it was it, this, my, this book was, was made for your show uh, because uh, there's, there's a so. lot of focus on, on um, talking about what people do in, in the second, what we call the second half of life. <laughs> um, but right. the beginning of this Absolutely. started years ago um, when I 
foolishly uh, asked my father um, if he was going to write anything as big or successful as Seven Habits. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so not intended, I kind of insulted him. And he said, you know, what, what do you think I'm one and done? You know, it's Seven Habits, those all my best ideas contained in this one book. And I have nothing else to offer. If that's true, I don't know why I get up in the morning. <laughs> what am I doing? I'm <laughs> pretending to write and teach and and um, still put out other things if my best stuff is, is just contained in the seven habits. And he didn't say this to overvalue himself or, or to brag or anything, but he said, I still have 10 books in my head. I, my most important stuff is still to come. And that really impressed me that um, he believed he, he truly believed, and I feel like, why shouldn't we, why shouldn't everyone believe that their best work, their best contributions are still ahead of you, not behind you? And so he um, he said um, one of the greatest ones that he was working on was his personal mission statement, Live Life from Crescendo. And that was his mission statement the last 10 years of his life. Because I think he could see his mortality a little bit. He was in his late 60s, early 70s, still speaking, still teaching, still doing what he loved to do. And people would annoy him by saying, how much longer are you going to work, Steve? Are you about done? Are you ready to, to hang it up? Are you going to keep going like this? And um, it didn't even occur to him. He thought, you know, why would I, why would I walk away from uh, something I'm passionate about? I feel like I'm trying to make a difference and having an impact. And um, I still feel like I have more to contribute. Uh, he, we never talked about, we called it the R word in our home, retire. <laughs> you didn't say that word because he believed though so you may retire from a profession or a job, you never retire from making meaningful contributions. And so um, we, we worked on it for a few years together. I, my job was to interview him about this idea, to talk about ideas. And then he wanted me, for my part, to look around the world and find inspiring examples and stories of famous and non-famous people who live this crescendo mentality. He wanted it to be a practical book that people could read an example of somebody else in the story and feel like, you know, I could do something like that. They could see themselves in, in, the, in the example. And so that was my part and to put together some commentary. So he basically said, you do the work and take my ideas. And uh, we worked on it a few years together. And then he um, he died prematurely at, at 79. And I kind of talk about our family's journey with that um, in the in the back of the book. But um, he so we weren't finished. And I felt bad about it because he was always bugging me to <laughs> keep going and to get it out. But and I was I was doing my best, but I have six kids and lots of grandkids and I've involved in some community projects and some other things I was working on. And so although I worked on it, I wasn't it wasn't finished when he passed away. And so I feel like my my goal was to be a faithful translator of the vision he had for Live Life and Crescendo. And I feel very um satisfied that I I have this out for him now and it was kind of his last lecture, his last big idea that he had that he really wanted to share with people. Well, thank you for that. And uh, of course, we're uh, sorry for your loss. And, and we all do miss Stephen R. Covey. But, but we have Cynthia 
Covey with us. And and really, it's <laughs> so right. great to hear that story and hear a little bit about Seven Habits, of course, because that's a, just a classic business book. And, and all of Stephen R. Covey's work is just classics. One of the interesting things I found, though, in my research of of Stephen R. Covey and, and his work, and, and in particular, The Seven Habits, uh, he really loathed. He did not, he was not happy to hear people refer to any of his work as self-help. He felt always that it was a book of, but <laughs> these, these were materials about, about leadership. He almost took it as, a, as an insult at times, and yet so many <laughs> have been helped by the book. Why not refer to this work as self-help? And, and maybe tell us what, what's the difference between this idea and, and the principles taught about leadership? Right. Um, I, don't, I think it more bothered him when people would call him a self-help guru. <laughs> because he felt he felt like, and and, and you're right. These it, it is it, you know he acknowledged that it it was it helped it was self help in the way that it would help individuals. He wanted to unleash uh, human potential individuals and organizations, and it worked for both. Um, I can't tell you every every you know many days, and especially as I'm doing these podcasts, most of the hosts will say your father impacted me greatly when I was a young entrepreneur, as when I was a student, when I was a young doctor, when I was starting out or whatever. And so he did impact individuals one by one. But I think that the reason he said that is because he, he people would always give accolades to him for these seven habits. And he always said, I didn't create, I didn't invent these. These aren't mine. These, these, he said, I organized them. I put them in sequence and I brought some meaning to them. But he believed that these were what he called true North principles, timeless universal principles that are true across the globe and for all people and cultures. And, and these principles are found in, in every culture. He would, he would be speaking in the Middle East or speaking um, in African countries or different places across the world. And people would say, this is what, this is what our culture teaches. You're, you're, you're going into what we've always been taught. And so again, he didn't um, he didn't feel like he invented them or discovered them. He organized them, and just they're, they're common universal principles that ring true to people. And I think that's why it has had such um, legs. It's still you know it's still it's been since 1989 and sold 40 million copies, and it's still selling today in today's world. When it came out in the you know late 80s. And I think that's just because it was it was based on true principles that people recognize. So I think I don't I think it'd be okay to say this is a self help. He realizes these principles have helped people, but he didn't want to be known as a guru <laughs> of those of those things because he didn't really take credit for them. Yeah, well, he he his work, uh, Franklin Covey helped me an awful lot. Have helped our family an awful lot. I'll, I'll just tell you that. And this book has already been helpful to me. I'm going to share it with my son who's in college and my wife has already glanced over it and the table of contents. Again, it's Live Life in Crescendo. I love that title. And and in particular, I love this reference to the kind of the musical term crescendo. And I wonder if you just take a second and maybe maybe tell us about why crescendo and contrast it because when you think about the opposite, you know, for a musical term that's diminuendo, and I wonder where you were thinking, you know, a little bit about the crescendo word and and how you you chose to use it, especially in contrast to kind of the opposite. Right. That's a good question. 
as I said, this came from his, his personal mission statement, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he liked the word crescendo because mm-hmm. if you go to a concert and you are listening to music and you can feel a crescendo coming, it builds, you know, how a crescendo sign it starts with a point and then the lines go spread out and they never touch again. They keep expanding. And a crescendo builds in momentum, in energy, in power, in influence. And to hear a crescendo in an orchestra or in something, uh, you know, listening to beautiful, especially classical music, is just fantastic and inspiring. And so, like you say, the opposite is diminuendo. And that's when um, the the sign is exactly the opposite. It it starts out with wide lines that are apart, but it comes to a, a point. And so that mu- the music lessens, and it and it is dropped in in energy and power, and and it slows down greatly. And then pretty soon it just comes to an end, comes to a stop. And so we're using this crescendo mentality um, uh, paradigm, kind of a that's what we've called it is um, a paradigm shift, kind of like a, a pair of glasses that you look through. That in every stage of life, you mentioned your your wife and then your son. It is true that if you if you adopt this crescendo mentality paradigm that you can that during your life you'll have opportunities to make a choice between living in crescendo or diminuendo. Are you going to keep learning and growing and stretching, improving, redefine yourself if needed, start over if needed, do what it takes to uh, to rise again and succeed? Or are you going to let what happens to you uh, knock you down and and define you and that basically you have no influence and your work and your contributions stop and eventually come to an end? We will be right back with author Cynthia Covey-Haller, who has co-written the new book, Live Life in Crescendo. Your most important work is always ahead of you. She's co-written that with her late father, Stephen R. Covey, author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. You're going to want to stick around because we're going to talk about the end of the book, which is perfect for our Not Old Better Show audience, where we talk about Cynthia's second half of life. Keep your momentum going, create meaningful memories, and detect your purpose. But I mentioned that today's episode is brought to you by findagrave.com, the world's largest online gravesite collection. I wanted to just tell you a little bit about Find a Grave. At findagrave.com, you can browse through cemeteries around the world and discover burial information about your family, friends, and even famous people. Findagrave.com makes it easy to locate the graves of ancestors and learn details like birth and death dates, familial relationships, and the location of burials. Through the Find a Grave community of members, you can add or request photographs of headstones, create virtual memories, or add virtual flowers to a loved one's memorial. Search findagrave.com by name, location, cemetery date, and more. Findagrave.com members add more information each day, so check back often to see new search results. Looking for a way to give back and be part of the Find a Grave community? Download the free Find a Grave app and then visit your local cemetery and add missing grave information to the site. It's an easy and fun way to spend some time outside while helping others who are searching for their family and friends. Findagrave.com is completely free to use, so start your search 
search today. Check out our show notes for more information, but go to findagrave.com and become a member of the Find a Grave community. Thanks, everybody. We are with Cynthia Covey-Haller. Cynthia Covey-Haller is the co-author, along with her father, Stephen R., the late Stephen R. Covey, of this wonderful book, Live Life in Crescendo. Your most important work is always ahead of you. I think this is a a great um, uh, reference to the book made by Adam Grant, who's the number one New York Times bestselling author of Think Again. And Adam Grant says, this wonderful last gift from Stephen Covey made with his daughter, Cynthia, will inspire you to dream bigger and bolder. I thought that was just um, a, uh, a a great visual, uh, you know, think about bold, think about these terms, crescendo. And I know in research of you, you that you're you're very much a family person. And of course, uh, the, the company was very much a family-oriented company working with your siblings there. Character also is an essential uh, part of who you are, an essential value uh, to your father and the, and the Franklin Covey Company. I wonder if you can talk for a second about character and um, in specific in the workplace and in the home, those two areas. I think that's where our audience is going to be most interested today. Maybe share a lesson that you learned from your father about character. Um, I, I'd love to do that. And I, this is a personal story that I think um, that, that started in the home, but it, it can reflect in the workplace. It can be used mm-hmm. in the workplace. And, mm-hmm. and that was um, when I was 12 years old, I had the opportunity to go with my father. He invited me to go on a daddy-daughter date to San Francisco when he was <laughs> speaking at some convention. And um, I was so thrilled to be, um, you know, I'm the oldest of nine. I'm kind of the mother hen, at least now I am. <laughs> then I was just a 12-year-old growing up. And this was time alone with with my dad that I really was excited about. And half the fun was really planning it before we left, <laughs> just deciding all the things we were going to do and, and um, you know, anticipating, which was uh, what was to come. And we had decided that um, that day he would go and speak. We were staying at like some fancy hotel. And for a 12-year-old, I thought this was describing what the hotel was like and the big pool and everything it had. So I would hang out at the pool and enjoy myself that day. And then by the the end of the day, by four or five o'clock, I would come to the back of the room and wait for him. And then we had plans to um, go on a trolley car. Mm-hmm. That was so magical for a 12-year-old to think of mm-hmm. riding around San Francisco on those amazing trolley cars. Mm-hmm. And I still love mm-hmm. them now. <laughs> they still got some magic in them. And so we we're going to ride on those. And then we're going to go over to some of the fancy stores, that, department stores that they had there and shop and get uh, get a few mm-hmm. um, clothes for school. Then we we're going yeah, yeah. to Chinatown and have our favorite kind of food, Chinese. And he just raved about how great this was going to be. And the Chinese food there was the best in the world. And so we were going to do that. And then after eating, we would take a taxi back to the hotel and hurry and swim before they closed. He was kind of famous at swimming <laughs> when it was closed. <laughs> he had ways to get under the under the net and be able to do his laps while the guard would run back and forth trying to tell him we're closer and he'd do underwater kicks and <laughs> avoid him as long as he could. But we decided to swim and then we would go um, back up to the hotel room and mm. order a hot fudge sundae <laughs> and watch the late show. And so you know, for a 12 year old, this was a dream, you know? And so it was going according to plan. I was standing in the back of the room and waiting for him and he's, he wait, made his way to me. Um, he also ran into one of his best wow. friends from college <laughs> that he hadn't seen for years. 
And they were both so excited to see each other and they embraced. And I heard him say, the, the friend say, you know, I came to this talk knowing that you were going to be here and I gotta, I'm going to whisk you away. Um, my wife and I would like to take you down on the wharf and we'll have seafood and catch up. And, um, you know, he said something about, I'm here with my daughter. And he glanced over at me and said, oh, she's welcome to come too. <laughs> and I thought, I could see my trolley car going, going down the hill without me. And I, my heart sunk. I thought, you know, I don't want to spend the night talking with old people I don't know. And then I didn't like seafood. I wanted my Chinese food that we had planned. And so I, 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 was, I was devastated. I expected the worst. And I heard my dad excitedly say, oh, I'm so happy to see you. It's so great. to. I'd love to do what you're suggesting, but not tonight. My my daughter, Cynthia, and I have a wonderful daddy-daughter date planned, don't we, honey? And he uh, winked at me and grabbed my hand, and we didn't wait enough long enough for his friend to see what he thought. We kind of just took off. And, and um, when we got outside, I was kind of taken back, and I said, but, Dad, this is your good friend. I, I know you love this guy. You're always talking about him, and you haven't seen him forever. Wouldn't you rather go with him? And he said, are you kidding? You'd much rather have uh, Chinese food. And Anyway, wouldn't you? And I wouldn't miss this for the world. Let's go get that trolley car. And so that, that this um, small inter, you know, exchange that we had and what he chose to do just meant the world to me as a, as a daughter. And it taught me a lot of other things that can also apply um, in business about trust, about keeping your word, about doing what you say you'll do about priorities, keeping first things first. I mean, I was the most important thing to him that night and the, our plans and um, our relationship was, was more important than, than anything. And uh, he, he just taught me the, the commitment that you, you have some integrity to be, even though you feel some pressure to, to be true to what you know you should do and make the right choice and build a level of trust and, and, um, in our relationship that I think uh, sustained me uh, during my childhood. And, and I told you I'm the oldest of nine kids and uh, you know, my other siblings could tell similar San Francisco type stories of how he uh, made them feel uh, valued and, and uh, appreciated in the family, despite how many there were of us um, due to the importance he put on relationships. And as we know, relationships are the bedrock of, mm -hmm. of everything mm -hmm. in business. Well, and, and we just so value your time and commitment to all of us. It, it's just important and valued, Cynthia. And 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 here you are, uh, you know, talking to old people that you don't know. <laughs> so it just, I, I it's interesting how it all. <laughs> okay, so good. I'm trying to live in Christian. Go right along with you. <laughs> yeah, and the, and your subtitle I think is wonderful too. Your most important work is ahead of you. I you know think you know to my audience, what should they take away? from that statement. You know, many are still working today, but many aren't. I think that the changing economy has just brought around, uh, brought uh, with it lots and lots of different working kinds of relationships, and, and we need a little bit of energy infusion. So tell us a little bit about what you mean by that. Right. That, that's the subtitle of the book, and he warned me. He said, they're going to want to change it or cut it or shorten it. Mm. <laughs> he said, you got to fight for that <laughs> subtitle. And I did. It happened, and I, and I did. And that is crucial to the understanding the first part that live life in crescendo, the crescendo mentality and the hope and the enthusiasm is that your most important work is always ahead of you. And just to share a little uh, funny story from, from our family um, at, at 64, my parents built their dream home. Mm 
<laughs> Most of the kids were out of the house and they had two kids, two kids uh, that were in high school and college left. And my brother, uh, David, who could always be the one to say, you know, obvious things in the family and get away with it. He just, he couldn't, he was incredulous that, that he would undertake something like this uh, at what he thought the end of his life, <laughs> toward the end of his life at 64. Of course, we know now that's very young. <laughs> but he, um, so my brother David stood with his arms out on the work site and, and yells out to my dad, at the sunset of his life, and yet he builds. <laughs> Just like he's building in the middle of, you know, what he's, who knows how long he's going to last and still he builds. But my dad didn't look at it that way. He he, um, he was building not just a house, but uh, a home for our family where cousins could be best friends, an intergenerational home where we could gather and support each other and, and um, be, you know, develop deep friendships with the, with the cousins in the next, next generation. So he had kind of a vision for it that, that my brother didn't see. But uh, this idea that um, your most important, most ahead of you, as I said, this was really the reason my father wrote this book. And I addressed that in the um, second half of life, kind of what we call the second half of life. And he really believed that um, as you as you age, that it is important to, as I said, to keep working, to contribute, even if you walk away from a job or a career. He thought it was a false dichotomy to tell people you can either keep working or retire. He said the third alternative is make a contribution. And you can make a contribution while working. He, he still, he, he remembers telling about um, um, this idea in a, in a speech he was giving. And a man in front of him in the audience got so animated and excited, he kind of stood up and started talking to people about it and then realized what he was doing and sat back down. And he spoke to him later and said, what was it that, that, that caught your attention? And he said, I'm a circuit judge. I'm 65. I've kind of just gone along with the notion that, you know, at 65, around that age, you retire. Listening to you speak, I realized I still have, I still have important work ahead of me. I still have a lot more to contribute. I know the needs of my city. I've, I've, I've put in the price for, you know, 30, 40 years uh, working on these issues. And I still have a lot of passion and still so excited about it. And I know I can still make a difference. So it just occurred to me, I don't need to retire. <laughs> I can keep, <laughs> I can keep uh, working and contributing as long as I feel I still have that. And so um, that idea of keep working or retire, um, make a contribution, the third alternative, if you do choose to keep working and so many our society, excuse me, if you look around our society, there are so many people that are still producing and working um, into their, you know, into their 70s, 80s, 90s. I'm thinking of um, Paul Newman, um, who passed away, uh, you know, several years ago. Um, he started race car driving in his 70s. <laughs> And he he um, had a career that spanned decades, but yet his most fulfilling work came about in his 60s, 70s, and he and he died in his in his um, low 80s um, through his, his humanitarian work. Have you ever bought his uh, dressing? Mm, oh yeah, dressing? oh yeah. We we ha yeah we use it, and uh, 
and support it. I think that's well, it's kind of one of those products that you just kind of support. That's right. His um, his motto was shameless exploitation in the pursuit of the common good. <laughs> he had that's a good. hilarious sense of humor. Yeah. And he decided he, he made this salad dressing up with his friend. I mean, he didn't like Hollywood and, and all those things. He just lived a, a life a, a life in Connecticut. And he had a friend that they, they made uh, oil and vinegar salad dressing together. And they gave it to people as gifts for Christmas. Well, he said people were banging on the door uh, a month later saying they were out of it and wanted more. And, the, and someone suggested to him, you know, you could make a lot of money. If you put what he called the, your mug on the merchandise and, and, you know, exploit your name, Paul Newman dressing. And he said, yeah, that would really, that would be awful if I did it to line my own pockets. But if we did it, you know, for the common good, if we gave 100% away, which is what they decided to do, that would, that would be wonderful. Take the low road, he said, for the high road. And he, they did that. And he, um, he marketed, he sold this salad dressing, um, giving 100% away. He said, you can only stuff so much, you can only put so much stuff in your closet. <laughs> and he said, I don't need it. But he, he ended up um, contributing. Um, so far, his um, Newman's own has donated $570 million to thousands of charities. And uh, it's just incredible. He tells the story of one of his charities, um, and this was all done in his 70s, that he um, started called Hole in the Wall Gang. And it was it's a it's a family camp for kids that spend most of their time. They have terminal illnesses. They spend most of their time in hospitals during the year. And this is a great camp that kids can come to for free and just be normal kids, have a great camp experience. And he said one time he was walking through the cafeteria and a little girl came up to him and took his hand and said, you know, Mr. Newman, this is the week I wait for all year. And he said, that's the applause. You know, what, what could you want more than that than to hold out your hand to someone less fortunate than you and be able to help? Hmm. And so I'm sorry, I've taken a long no. time to answer oh. your question, but no. that was an example of, of um, you know, he didn't feel like, you know, it was, it was bad to retire from a job if you wanted to, if you were able to still keep making meaningful contributions um, like Paul Newman did. No, I'm glad you spent time with that answer. That was wonderful. It, it was uh, a very a sweet answer. It was a very genuine answer, and and um, and I, I appreciated it very much. I know I know our audience will. Well, I know you're very busy. I sure appreciate your time. I just cannot recommend this book enough. Live Life in Crescendo. Your most important work is always ahead of you. Let's wrap up our conversation today with with just a, a quote from Stephen R. Covey. It's one of my favorite, and, and I, I want you to just comment on it because I think it's one that probably might be just hearing you talk a little bit. I, I think this might be meaningful to you, and I know it will be to our audience. The quote from your father is, to touch the soul of another human being is to walk on holy ground. What does that mean to you now? You know, um, that that means to me that um, your relationships, um, my, my dad defined success. Um, not how the world does it, but as being successful in your most important roles without comparison to others. And so um, to have a successful relationship, to be able to influence a person who is struggling, maybe someone has a daughter that's just going through a hard divorce and grandkids are struggling. Um, maybe you, you see a, a need in the community 
And so like um, you can meet that need, you could start um, a drive, a closed drive or a food drive, or you could do some service there. Um, if you have a relationship with someone across the street that's older and you see that they're struggling, their lawn is yellowing, they're, they, they don't get out much, you know, how much can you touch one person if you are uh, perceptive of needs? If in this time of life, as you're older, and maybe you're not working full time now, and so he thought that it is the greatest time of all to keep making meaningful contributions. That this time in your life, in your 60s, 70s, 80s, you actually have more time, more wisdom, more experience, more resources, more more uh, valuable insights to be able to reach out and help another person. And just a quick a quick story of that would be um, if you know of the poet William Henley, um, his mother, um, his father died when he was a, a small boy and left his mother with six children in England and they were living in poverty. And Henley went to school and the headmaster uh, probably noticed that this boy was struggling and he said he gave he, he was kind to me when I needed kindness more than I needed anything else in my life. And he also saw, um, the, as my father describes leadership, leadership is communicating another person's worth and potential so clearly that they are inspired to see it in themselves. And this headmaster saw in William Henley some potential as, as, a, as a person and as a, a poet and taught him to love poetry. And Henley started writing writing some poetry and, and was inspired by this man's belief in him that he touched his his heart his soul and that somebody else uh, thought something of him and would and be so kind to him and he had a hard life he ended up being in the hospital with tuberculosis lost his leg and died at 53 but his poetry lived on and one of his poems is called Invictus. And as you as you know, that Invictus is the poem that inspired Nelson Mandela when he was in prison. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Those words stirred Mandela to to um, decide to he's imprisoned. He's finally a re released at 71 years old. You'd think, okay, 71. He's you know most of his life is over. What possible impact could he have? But yet. He um, took took these this idea kind of in this poem, inspired his prisoners, even fellow guards. And as he came out of prison at 71, um, his most important work was truly ahead of him. Four years later, he's elected the president of South Africa, the first black president ever to be. And he's dismantling apartheid and his influence is spreading all across the world. And so one person touching another person and touching another one, it's like ripples in a pond. It just keeps spreading. And so I believe this, um, the main idea of Live Life for Crescendo is that, that um, and it's particularly to this audience, um, is that, you know, don't label, don't label yourself. Don't, assert, don't accept the old uh, stereotypes of, well, they're older, they can't do much, or, or, they're, or they're done. My father taught, don't look in the rearview mirror. Don't, what your past failures or successes look ahead like if you're driving in a car look ahead at what's coming and in this stage of life um, in your 60s 70s 80s 90s look around you and you will see lots of people that are making enormous contributions 
uh, to others' lives because they have seized this opportunity to take advantage of of all their years of experience and their their character building and their connections and everything, and they are spreading across the world, blessing people's lives. Cynthia Covey, Aller, thank you for that. Thank you for your generous time today for reading from the book, Live Life in Crescendo. Your most important work is always ahead of you. You have co-written this book with your father, Stephen R. Covey. The book is just getting great, great reviews online. I want to read to you just real quickly into my audience uh, what Arianna Huffington says about the book. Stephen Covey, in his final leadership book, Live Life in Crescendo, completed by his daughter, Cynthia, proposes a paradigm shift around retirement, suggesting that although we may retire from a job or career, we don't ever have to retire from making meaningful contributions to those around us. With new insights and inspiring personal stories, the book helps us focus on leading a life of service with the same passion we brought to building successful careers. That really says it all. I think the book is just going to be a huge hit. I know it will be with our audience. You've been so kind uh, and and so insightful with your um, thoughts about this book, Cynthia. Thank you again. And as you complete other books, hey, come back and see us because we'd love to hear from you again, <laughs> Cynthia. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you and your and your great audience. And I'm inspired by what you're doing and your your mission. My father always felt that life was a mission, not a career, and that you can end a career at a job. But uh, your unique mission, every person's unique mission, can powerfully impact other people if we if we detect what it is and and go about it. So I really appreciate you having me on in the show, and and I wish all the best to you. Thank you, and you too. Our review today is from LaVon J. Moran. And it was just this week that LaVon wrote this, 9-13-22. We're going to put links up to where you can find these reviews so that you can see them for yourself. But LaVon says, the best. Truly, this is the best podcast in the world. I listen to these podcasts every night before I go to sleep. Always the best is the best from the Not Old Better Show. Love that. Thank you, LaVon. And my thanks to Cynthia Covey-Haller for her generous time reading from her new book and her inspirational messages about the R word and how best to reach goals and reach your dreams by living life in crescendo. My thanks to the Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. My thanks to you, my wonderful Not Old Better show audience on radio and podcast. Remember, Today's music is Twinkle Twinkle Little Star by Snuffy Jenkins from Smithsonian Folkways. It's being played right now in the background. My thanks to Find a Grave, the world's largest online grave site collection. Browse through cemeteries around the world and discover burial information about your family, friends, and even famous people. Dear audience, please be well and be safe. I'm saying this to you in every show. I'm telling you this. Please understand that we have to eliminate assault rifles. Only members of the military use and need these weapons. Assault rifles are killing our children and grandchildren in the very places they learn, school. Let's eliminate assault rifles. Let's do better. Let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show on radio and podcast. Thanks, everybody, and we will see you next week.